Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. I think maybe the most misunderstood, one of the most misapplied, mistaught verses in the entire Bible is the verse that we're going to look at today. It's Matthew 7, 6, where Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. All right, so in this passage, we see some people are pigs. Uh, Some people, unlike you with your spiritual sensitivity, are evil. Uh, They can't appreciate what is sacred and holy. It's like they have some kind of a spiritual disability. You, on the other hand, have pearls, Uh, pearls of wisdom, pearls of truth, Uh, pearls of good advice, pearls that could straighten people out if they would only receive them. But they're just spiritual idiots. Uh, So you shouldn't waste your time on such people. They're not worthy. That's what Jesus is saying, right? I think those are the kinds of sermons that are typically taught on this passage. You see, this business about pearls and pigs is one of Jesus's most intriguing teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's one most people are unsure about what to do with. Little children were asked to interpret it. You know, what does the saying mean, don't throw your pearls to pigs? Uh, Jacob, age six, said, I would never give my sister my toys. (laughs) Is that what Jesus had in mind? Like my toys are my pearls and my sister is the pig? You see, the way this verse usually gets interpreted is the exact opposite of the spirit in which Jesus taught it. Many times it's taught that followers of Jesus have this treasure, you know, this hope, this grace, but we're not to waste it on bad or evil people, the pigs who would just trample on it. Yet according to the writers of scripture, quite consistently, who is the sinful, wicked, fallen, broken, all we like sheep have gone astray, messed up people category? Who is it? Well, that would be everyone, right? That would would be you and me. And so we need to realize that the very fact that the gospel has come to people like you and me is evidence of the fact that pearls ought to be given to pigs. It was given to us. Jesus said it was precisely for the messed up, sinful, wicked people that he came. He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I did not come for the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus didn't teach that we shouldn't do good things for people who might reject them or misuse them. In fact, he taught uh, precisely the opposite. This is what he taught. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. So let's be very clear. Jesus is not saying here that certain classes of people are to be viewed as pigs or dogs that are unworthy of our great pearls. No one ever taught or modeled the worth and dignity of every human being and the universal command to love all people with the depth and clarity and urgency of Jesus Christ. 
See, the problem with giving a pearl to a pig is not that the pig isn't worthy. The problem is a pearl is not a helpful thing to give a pig. Jesus is actually getting to a much deeper problem in human relationships with uh, wisdom that could actually save your friendships or your marriage or your relationship with your kids. Sometimes the pearls you have that are so wonderful that you want so badly to give will not be wanted and will not be helpful. And in that case, you shouldn't try to force it on someone. See, a pearl doesn't nourish a pig. And nourishment is what the pig is looking for. What will help the pig is food. If you put a bunch of slop in a trough, I mean, you'll have a happy, healthy pig. If you keep putting pearls in the trough, uh, you will not have a happy pig. You'll have a resentful pig. You might think, you know, you ungrateful pig, look at the pearls you've been given, but that's not gonna help at all. Eventually the pigs will turn and take a bite out of you. Why? Well, because they're hungry and at least you're edible. You know, it's the same with a dog. If you give a dog what is sacred, a New Testament or a Jesus bumper sticker or some rosary beads or something, I mean, he would do with them the only thing a dog knows how to do with something, and that is try to eat it. Our executive pastor, Joe Hartley, and his wife, Lisa, they have a golden retriever. And when he was a puppy, he got on the counter and ate a bottle of medication. And so they had to rush him to the doctor to have his stomach pumped, and you know he ended up being fine. Uh, but they also found that he ate his dog leash. <laughs> uh, they were wondering where it went. One time he got on the counter and started to eat a raw piece of steak. And so uh, Lisa and the dog were in like a tug of war over it, and he finally dropped it. And their son Adam looked at Lisa and said, we're not gonna eat that, are we? And she said, steaks are too expensive to waste. To which Adam said, okay, well, that one's yours. <laughs> Do not give what is sacred to a dog. Not because the dog is unworthy, but because it's not going to help the dog. Now, this is something important for us all to understand. When you study the Bible, you always want to keep in mind the larger context of the passage you're studying. In Matthew 7, Jesus is talking about wrong ways of relating to people to which religious people are particularly prone. Two weeks ago, we learned from Jesus, do not judge. He warned us against condemning and judging. And then last week, we saw that Jesus said, don't point out the speck in someone's eye when you have a plank in your own eye. He warns people against criticizing and blaming. And now he says, don't throw your pearls to pigs. He's still talking about wrong ways religious people relate to each other. Jesus is forbidding the practice of what we might call pearl pushing. This is when you're trying to push your pearls, your wisdom, your will, your way, your superior knowledge onto another person, even when they don't want it, even when it's not being helpful. Pearl pushers just kind of drift into the habit of criticizing more naturally than encouraging. That's what a pearl pusher does. And I know because I can be one sometimes. Pearl pushers take it upon themselves to correct everyone else because what they notice is where other people are wrong. Someone said there are only two kinds of drivers in the world. You may have noticed this. There are maniacs who drive faster than I do and there are idiots who drive slower than I do. I mean, if you look for the flaws, you will find flaws, I guarantee you. 
If you search for faults, you'll be successful. And you'll go through life wondering, why don't people seem to want to be around me? Pearl pushing is a lonely way to live. Pearl pushers tend to adopt a tone of superiority. And the pig generally notices this. Pigs have a pretty sensitive radar. And so the teaching here is, if the pig isn't ready for your pearls, don't push your pearls. Part of love is not only knowing what to say, it's knowing when to say it, and maybe even more importantly, knowing when not to say it. This is from the book of Proverbs. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. <laughs> the pigs want to sleep. Uh, now, the pearl might be genuinely good wisdom. Maybe the pearl is the gospel about Jesus himself. I think of a woman who really loved Jesus, and that's a good thing. Uh, she wanted her husband to love Jesus. That's a good thing. And she had this spiritual pearl that she wanted to give you know, him so badly that she just kept trying to force that pearl on him. She would tell him, you know, read this spiritual book, listen to this godly podcast, you know, consider these five proofs that God exists. She would constantly remind him, I'm praying for you. Sometimes uh, she would pray like for uh, at dinner time, you know, at the table while her husband is sitting there waiting for his food while it's getting cold. She would be praying for Jesus to save her husband. Have another pearl. Have another pearl. And the pig was not happy about this. Now, when it comes to telling other people about your faith, one of the most important tips you can follow is obeying the law of supply and demand. In other words, monitor what level of demand for spiritual conversation is coming from the other person. Like, are they asking questions about God? Are they wanting to know what your story is? And you adjust your level of supply, you know, how long you go on talking about spiritual matters, to be commensurate to their level of demand, you know, what they're actually asking for. If the other person is not looking at you anymore, if they're not nodding their head, if they're not asking questions or making listening sounds, if they kind of lean back and stop talking, well, you violated the law of su supply and demand. Stop pushing the pearl and start watching the pig. That's something we can all learn. Stop pushing the pearl and start watching the pig. All right, we'll talk more about this in just a moment. All this talk about pigs and dogs, especially coming off of 4th of July, my mind can't help but think about hot dogs. I love hot dogs. I have a strange question for you. How many hot dogs is too many hot dogs? It's a silly question, isn't it? But each of us has this number in our heads of how many hot dogs we could or should eat in one sitting. For some of us, that number is one. One hot dog is plenty. But for some of us, we can eat a few more. I know firsthand the beauty of knowing when enough is enough. And I may have learned that the hard way. About 16 years ago, I was working as a youth pastor in the Chicago suburbs. And one Wednesday night at youth group, one of my students gave me two tickets to the Chicago White Sox game the next day. She told me that it was dollar dog day, where all hot dogs were only $1 each. And of course, since I was at youth group, I did what any youth pastor would do and turned it into the most ridiculous, over-the-top, and unnecessary challenge. I told all of my students I'll eat one hot dog every half inning. For those of you who don't know much about baseball, basically every time a team got three outs, I got in line for another hot dog. 
how hard could it be, right? They're so small. I soon found out that it was just too many hot dogs. I didn't want to eat anymore, but I told all the kids I was going to, so I forced myself to eat another again and again and again. <laughs> and I thank God the, the, the game got rained out in the fifth inning. Because after 10 hot dogs in two hours, I found my number. I couldn't imagine having to eat eight more. <laughs> no matter what our number is, I can imagine that most of us would agree that 76 is too many hot dogs. Fourth of July is always the season of hot dogs and competitive eater Joey Chestnut holds the world record for the big Fourth of July hot dog eating contest. His record is 76 hot dogs in 10 minutes. How is that even possible? While we may laugh at the idea of what our hot dog number is, this idea of how many hot dogs is too many hot dogs parallels what Matt is revealing to us today. The verses about the pig and the pearl, in part, is an exploration of what it looks like for us to walk alongside people, friends, family, and kids as they carry their hot dogs. From an outsider perspective, we may see red flags for people in our lives, and we may, we may be apt to speak about it. We may be pushing our pearls and we may not even realize it until now. Pushing pearls can bring about hurt for others, resentment, distance, and a gut-churning feeling similar to what I imagine force-feeding someone 76 hot dogs would feel like. It could cause rifts and struggles in our relationships. Now we're gonna rejoin Matt as he dives into where and how some of our pearl pushing comes up and what we could do to lean into Jesus's promise and hope in these verses. All right, so pearl pushing can happen in any relationship. It can happen in a marriage, it can happen in a workplace, it can happen between friends, it can happen in a church. But the place where, in my humble opinion, pearl pushing is most likely to happen and most likely to do damage is between parents and children. Parental pearl pushing is a major source of alienation in families. Uh, when our oldest daughter was born and when we adopted our two younger children, I remember we were just overwhelmed by the thought that we needed to watch over every part of their lives, like every moment. Like we controlled what they ate, we controlled when they slept and uh, what they wore and where they went and who they saw and what they heard. I mean, we could really mess them up. And that's a very heavy weight when you become a parent. I think there's only one thing harder than being in control of your child's life. You know what it is? It's not being in control of your child's life. And we live with pressure and expectations and worry and hopes and love and ego that are all mixed together. That's just the truth for those of us who are parents. True story, one mom who had uh, tried real hard to get her daughter into uh, her top choice school so that she could have a great life, said this, my daughter didn't get in. I'm worried about what this means for her future. And that's understandable, but her daughter was three years old. <laughs> like inflated expectations and pressure can lead to pearl pushing. Sit up straight, clean your room better, get your homework done. Did you get your homework done? I don't think your model, model nuclear reactor is good enough to get an A, so I guess I'll have to do it for you. Why aren't you more like, you know, why can't you? Why won't you? Why do you disappoint me? And you know, you may not ask these questions out loud, but the pigs have a real sensitive radar. 
You know, you had parents, question. Do you wish your parents had given you one more lecture when you were growing up? You know, so often our kids know exactly what I'm going to say without me even saying it. Now, the point of Jesus's teaching here uh, on the pearl and the pig is not don't confront. It's not don't set boundaries. It's not uh, don't enforce consequences. We all need to do that. And it's part of a parent's job. Jesus's point is don't force your wisdom on a non-receptive person. You can't control any other human being. They have their kingdom. It's not your kingdom. You cannot make sure any human being turns outright. You just have to let that go. You have to make space for God. God is the one who can enter into their little kingdom at the deepest level. In particular, for those of us who love God and follow Jesus, I know this, I know, I know, I know. What we want more than anything else for our children is for them to love and to know and to follow God as well. And I know there's maybe nothing more painful for a parent than to know the greatest treasure of their life is unwanted by their children. I was talking to a man I know who had a child kind of late in life, and uh, this was his prayer. God, do not give me a child unless that child will be a lifelong Christian. He wanted like this divine guarantee that he would have a no-risk child when it came to faith. I don't want the pain of having to love a child who does not have the faith that I do. I mean, that's basically what he was saying. I'm not sure I would want to be that man's child. I'm not sure I would want to carry that kind of weight because God made everyone to be free to choose. God makes people, God makes people free, even at the cost of great pain to God himself. I mean, think about this. God loves people even when they use their God-given freedom to reject God. He makes the sun to shine. He causes the rain to fall on people who love him and people who shake their fist in his face. Now, this is why in a spiritual flourishing church, everyone, not just parents, everyone owns helping our children, our students, grow up rooted in faith and in God and in life and in love. Now, let me just make this real personal for a moment because this is very important for our church. Often in churches, there will be a, a, a goal when it comes to caring for kids. It's a, a five to one ratio. In other words, the church will want to have one volunteer uh, for every five students or every five children. And that's a good thing. However, people who do research about faith development will say, you really need to kind of flip that ratio. They say the biggest predictor of a child remaining committed to God when they grow up is having a, a multi-generational team that's pouring into them. So if you're a parent, what you really want is a team of five adults who will want to enhance the faith of your child or the development of your child. I mean, that team could include a grandparent, aunts, uncles, or volunteers in ministry. Uh, maybe it's someone with whom you go on a mission trip, or maybe it includes someone uh, in your small group. Maybe it's a parent of one of your child's friends. You know, it's a weird thing about children, and I don't fully understand this, but I've seen this firsthand. There will come a time when they don't want your pearls anymore, as great as your pearls are, but they'll want someone else's pearls. Tony, Tony Dungy was a, a famous Super Bowl winning NFL coach. Uh, he's like a, a coach of coaches. They still call him coach, even though he, he's no longer a coach. He announces. 
I mean, his son was going to high school, playing high school football, and you know he was expending a ton of energy doing that, but he was eating like a Pop-Tart for breakfast. And now I love Pop-Tarts, but you know it's not the greatest nutrition in the world. And Tony told his son about the science of nutrition and training and how he needs a bigger breakfast. And this kid is getting advice from a NFL Super Bowl winning coach, but he doesn't respond at all. One day, Tony comes downstairs and his son is fixing uh, this great breakfast, eggs, bacon, oatmeal, fruit. And Tony was so glad that his pearl had gotten through. And so he couldn't resist commenting to his son, hey, good job fueling up today. And his son said, yeah, my coach said I needed a bigger breakfast. (laughs) I mean, his dad is a Super Bowl winning NFL rock star, but he's dad. And so the pig doesn't want that pearl. You know, we all own together helping to pass on the torch of faith to the next generation. And I just want to say, as a pastor, I'm so grateful for every single person who volunteers their time and their energy and their heart to love our children, to love our students, to pour into them, to help them come to know and love God. All right, I want to close today with a story about what can happen when you stop looking with a critical eye, when you stop trying to force your wonderful pearls all the time. This story was written a long time ago. It's a fictional story. Uh, I want to tell it to you, and then I want to tell you the story that's behind the story. It's a story about a fifth grade teacher named Mrs. Thompson and a fifth grade boy who she didn't like. His name was Teddy. Uh, Teddy did not play well with other children, and his clothes were kind of a mess. Uh, He was just unpleasant to be around, kind of disruptive, kind of uh, uncooperative. It got to the point where she kind of took delight in putting a lot of red ink on his papers so that he knew he wasn't doing well. It kind of made her feel good. It wasn't until halfway through the year when she was reviewing his files that she learned his story. Everyone has a story. Teddy's first grade teacher wrote, Teddy's a bright child with a healthy laugh. He's a joy to be around. His second grade teacher wrote, Teddy is an excellent student, well-liked by his classmates, but he's troubled because his mother is very ill. Life at home must be a struggle. His third grade teacher wrote, Teddy's mother died and that's been very hard on him. He tries to do his best, but his father doesn't show much interest. Teddy's fourth grade teacher wrote, Teddy is withdrawn and doesn't show much interest in school. See, when Miss Thompson realized Teddy's problem, she was ashamed of herself. She felt even worse when her students brought her Christmas presents wrapped in beautiful ribbons and bright, shiny uh, paper, except for Teddy's. Teddy brought her a present, but it was quite clumsily wrapped in the heavy brown paper that he got from ripping open an old grocery bag. Mrs. Thompson was quite careful to open it in the middle of all the other presents. Some of the children started to laugh when she found an old rhinestone bracelet with some of the stones missing and a bottle of a cheap perfume that was a quarter full. She stifled the children's laughter when she put the bracelet on her wrist and expressed how beautiful that she thought it was. And then she also put some of the perfume on her wrist as well. Teddy stayed after school that day just long enough to say, Mrs. Thompson, today you smelled just like my mom used to. And her bracelet looked really pretty on your wrist. And the children laughed and she cried and she begged God to forgive her. 
And on that very day, she quit teaching, reading, writing, and arithmetic, and instead she began to teach children. Mrs. Thompson paid particular attention to Teddy. And as she worked with him, as she saw something good in him, his mind seemed to come alive. The more she encouraged him, the more she believed in him, and the faster he responded. And by the end of the year, Teddy had become one of the smartest children in her class. Six years later, she got a letter from Teddy. He wrote that he had finished high school second in his class. Four years later, she got another letter saying that while things had been tough at times, he was soon to graduate college with the highest of honors. And then four more years passed and eventually another letter came. And this time the letter was signed Theodore F. Stollard, MD. He told her he had met a girl and he told her that he was getting married. And he asked her if she would come and sit in the place of the mother of the groom. And she did. And she wore the old bracelet and she wore the perfume that he gave her. And when he thanked her for being the best teacher that he had ever had, she told him that he had it all wrong, that he was the one who taught her. And that story was written by a woman named Elizabeth Ballard. Uh, she said it was triggered by two real life events. Once was a time when she had been teaching Sunday school because she's a follower of Jesus, the Jesus who said, don't throw your pearls to pigs. Uh, she was teaching and a grubby little boy had given her a rhinestone bracelet and a bottle of cheap perfume. And that moment reminded her of when she was a little girl and she grew up in a family that was quite impoverished and she had no money. And so she brought her teacher a gift of pecans from a tree in their yard. And all the other students started to laugh and her teacher stopped them. Her teacher saved her by saying that she was uh, making a fruitcake and this was exactly what she needed. Now, of course, she wasn't really making a fruitcake. Like no one makes fruitcake. Fruitcakes just happen, you know, like accidents and sinkholes. <laughs> now, I think the reason this story has touched so many people is we forget every day we will choose the eyes we use to see people, either eyes of judgment or eyes of love. And I don't know about you, but I think the world is kind of tired of Christians trying to force their pearls on people. I don't think it's actually our job to try to go around day after day correcting people, fixing people, giving advice to people who are not asking for it and explaining everything that's wrong with the world and what the problem is with this group and with that group and why these people don't behave like we think they should behave. I mean, I kind of think it's time for followers of Jesus to just come alongside people and offer hope and healing with some humility and servanthood and generosity and love. I kind of think that's how Jesus created what became the most inclusive, inviting movement in the history of humanity. And that's why in this Jesus, there should be no more divisions. The dividing wall has been torn down. There's no more separating Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. So this week, no pearl pushing, no judging, no condemning, no superiority, no comparing, no blaming. Now, I know this raises the question, you know, if, if I'm not supposed to relate to people by judging or condemning, and if I'm not allowed to force advice on them, like, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to relate to people? What are you supposed to do if you're concerned about something or there's a problem where you want one thing and the other person wants another? 
Well, Jesus has a way. It's actually the simplest, best practice for human relationships on earth. And it always unites people. It almost always magically puts you on the same side. It's how we are to relate not only to each other, but also to God. It's the basic operating system for relationships in the kingdom of God. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. But for this week, no pearl pushing, no judging, no condemning. But just remember that story about Teddy. As you go from one relationship to another, ask God this question. God, would you help me to see what you see when you look at this person? Would you help me to think what you think and feel what you feel and say what you say? And then a little bit of his kingdom will come from up there to down here through you and it will flow to them. All right, let me pray for you. God, would you help us to learn from this story that Jesus told about the pig and the pearl? Help us to remember that we need to be sensitive in our conversations with people and engage uh, how much they're actually wanting to receive what we have to give them. God, help us to be led by your spirit. Help us to remember the story of Teddy, to see the potential in people. But help us also to uh, reflect on these questions. You know, are they uh, wanting to receive what we're giving? Um, are they ready to receive what we're giving? Um, and God, would you guide us? Would you lead us by your Holy Spirit? Would you give us the words to speak? Help us to be uh, very sensitive in our conversations, especially when we're having spiritual conversations with people. Help us not to push them away. Help us to give just enough so that that conversation will continue. Maybe not in that moment, but over the course of the days and weeks ahead. God, we love you and we thank you for the way that you're shaping us and molding us into the men and women that you want us to be through the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.